0: As the Bible says, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Greetings, everyone. Given today's topic, it seems appropriate for me to say, I'm happy to be here with you. (laughs) And to have this opportunity to delve into a subject that has such an important impact on our lives. Our beloved Guru, Paramahansa Yogananda assures us that happiness is the birthright of every soul. Each one of us, without exception, has access to a wellspring of inner spiritual happiness. Then why is it that some people are happy and others are not? What can we do to increase our inner happiness? Why should we try to be happy? How does our personal level of happiness affect others? These are some of the questions we'll explore together this afternoon. The yearning for happiness is universal. It is common to people of all races, creeds, ages, nationalities. And that includes every one of us here today. Just yesterday, I remembered something that occurred many years ago that I haven't thought of in all these years. It was before I entered the ashram, and I had attended a lovely long meditation at our New York City center. And I was still feeling very uplifted when I was walking on the crowded New York City sidewalks, chanting, Who is in my temple? All the doors do open themselves, all the lights do light themselves. And suddenly, there was this young man standing in front of me, looking at me very intently, and he said, Why are you smiling? Said, what have you got to be so happy about? And I said, Well, I've just come from meditation, and I'm feeling the joyous presence of God. And he said, There is no God. <laughs> And then he went on to explain why he thought there was no God, that God would not have created such an imperfect world. He would have made it perfect. And also he had read some book that he said, if, I, if you read that book, I don't remember what it was, you won't believe in God either. And I said, mm, yeah. <laughs> At this point, I respectfully disagreed with him and said, you know, I have to catch a train. <laughs> but he was — there was an urgency in him. And he was like, Oh, please, catch the next train. I need to talk to you about this. If you tell me your reasons why you believe there is a God, and then let me have my opportunity to tell you, I think I can convince you. (laughs) And I said, I don't think so. But listen, my dad's waiting for me at the train station. I gotta go. (laughs) So I prayed for him on the way home. And I haven't thought of this story in years. But when it came to me yesterday, I thought, I believe that he didn't really want to make me an atheist. I think what was underneath his urgency was that he was hoping that I could convince him that there really is a God, and that perhaps give him hope that he could experience the happiness he saw on my face after that meditation. Guruji tells us, each mortal being has in his heart a terrible hunger for happiness, love, peace, joy. That hunger is implanted in us by God as part of His beautiful divine plan. Its purpose is to help turn our consciousness away from the world, which we come to realize cannot satisfy us, cannot provide the inner happiness that we crave and direct us toward God, the source of all happiness, the repository of all peace and love and joy. In recent years, there's been a growing interest in understanding happiness, not only on a personal level, but nationally and even internationally. This year, the United Nations declared March 20th the first International Day of Happiness. (laughs) Its official reasoning was to encourage countries to better capture the importance of the pursuit of happiness with a view to guiding their public policies. This sounds almost revolutionary, doesn't it? Yet there's more. The country of Bhutan has adopted a Gross National Happiness Index to evaluate their progress rather than the usual gross domestic product model. As a country, they've actually chosen to focus on happiness rather than solely finances as their measure of success. Uh, An increasing number of studies and experiments are being conducted in an attempt to find out what makes people happy and what the various physical, mental, and emotional effects of happiness might be. Researchers at Columbia University, for example, conducted a study which found that happier people were less likely to have heart problems. The lead doctor of that study concluded, if you aren't naturally, a happy person, just try acting like one. It could help your heart. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, recent scientific findings often correlate with the ancient teachings of the masters. And I'll be sharing additional reports on research throughout this talk. But first, I'd like to tell you a story about a delightful 92-year-old woman, Mrs. Jones. Her husband of 70 years had recently passed away, and she realized it was time to move into a nursing home. Her first day there, after many hours of waiting patiently in the lobby, she smiled sweetly when told that her room was finally ready. As she maneuvered her walker to the elevator, the attendant provided a visual description of her tiny new room. I love it, she stated enthusiastically. Mrs. Jones, you haven't seen the room. Just wait. That doesn't have anything to do with it, she replied. Happiness is something you decide on ahead of time. Whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged. It's how I arrange my mind. I already decided to love it." Then Mrs. Jones went on to explain to her young attendant how she approaches each day. She said, I have a choice. I can spend the day in bed recounting the difficulty I have with the parts of my body that no longer work, or get out of bed and be thankful for the ones that do. Each day is a gift, and as long as my eyes open, I'll focus on the new day and all the happy memories I've stored away just for this time in my life. Old age is like a bank account. You withdraw from what you've put in." And then with a sweet little smile, she added, "'So my advice to you would be to deposit a lot of happiness in the bank account of memories. Now please, close your eyes for a few moments. And let these familiar words of Master penetrate your consciousness. You have the power to hurt yourself or to benefit yourself. If you do not choose to be happy, no one can make you happy. Do not blame God for that. And if you choose to be happy, no one can make you unhappy. It is we who make of life what it is. So, let's go back to the question, why is it that some people are happy while others are not? Master is giving us a very important clue, isn't he? And it's something that Mrs. Jones understood quite well. First of all, we must choose to be happy. Choosing happiness requires effort on our part especially when we're disappointed or faced with difficult circumstances. When we feel low, it's so easy to just go with the flow, to let that negativity pull us down, rather than making an effort to resist it. It's very much like swimming in a river. How much easier it is to float along with the current than it is to turn around and struggle against it. But where is that river taking you? Is that where you really want to go? Guruji tells us that happiness lies in giving yourself time to think and introspect. Now, why is that? Every day, life presents us with multiple choices. When we take the time to really think about life and introspect deeply, we are in a much better position to make good choices, conscious choices, and to be more aware that in every situation there is always a choice to be made. So, let's hit the pause button for a few moments and introspect a bit. If I pose the question, what do you do to try to feel better when you are feeling unhappy. What answers come to mind? Is your first thought to read something inspiring? Meditate? Pray? Go for a walk? Jog? Swim? Eat? Sleep, watch TV, shop. (laughs) The choices we make have a very definite impact on our level of happiness, whether they be active conscious choices or passive unconscious choices based on the habits we've cultivated. I'd like to share with you an attention-getting concept from a psychologist. Remember, that what you are not changing, you are choosing. So, going back to the analogy of the river, if we passively allow ourselves to drift along into unhappiness or a mood, that is a choice in not making an effort to turn around and swim against the current, to change our thinking and take positive steps to free ourselves from unhappiness, we are essentially choosing unhappiness. For what we are not changing, we are choosing. It's sometimes difficult for people to understand and accept that struggle is part of life. That struggle is part of God's beautiful divine plan. When we set foot on the spiritual path, when we decide to seek lasting spiritual happiness over fleeting worldly happiness, Satan takes notice, and our struggles may very well increase. Guruji wrote in his autobiography, In God's plan and play, Lila, the sole function of Satan, or Maya, is to attempt to divert man from spirit to matter, from reality to unreality. Our efforts to struggle against Maya's attempts to divert our attention away from God strengthen our spiritual muscles, our spiritual resolve. But even when we know conceptually what will give us true happiness, that doesn't necessarily mean that choosing what is best for ourselves will be easy. I see a lot of nods. (laughs) We all go through this. I have a vivid memory of a tussle with Maya that occurred when I was relatively new on the spiritual path. I had moved to the country to get away from it all, to sort things out, to give myself time to think, introspect, and really focus on my spiritual life. I was living on 35 acres of pine forest, all alone, without even a phone. What I discovered pretty quickly, was although I had managed to free myself from outer distractions, I wasn't so easily able to rid myself of inner distractions. One night, I had it out with the Lord. I took issue with the way He had set things up. (laughs) I resented that the world held out a promise of happiness that it couldn't fulfill, even though it seemed within reach, while true, all-fulfilling happiness in God seemed beyond reach. My mournful prayer went something like this. Lord, it's Saturday night. Instead of having a good time with my friends, here I am, out in the country, eating fruits and vegetables, meditating and going to bed early so I can get up early and meditate again. But I don't feel that I'm making any progress. You still seem so far away. It just doesn't seem fair. I stood outside on the lawn under the stars. It was my own little field of Kurukshetra. It felt as if I was reaching for God with my right hand while trying to hold on to the world with my left. And I felt torn because I realized I had to let go of the world before I could hope to have God. I knew I couldn't choose both. And at the moment, I felt I didn't have either. That was a very real struggle a skirmish in the ongoing battle with maya. And it's a struggle each one of us faces in order to firmly set our priorities and move forward. In the Second Coming of Christ, Guruji explains, as long as the mind wanders haphazardly between spiritual incentives and worldly temptations, that course will be futile in producing spiritual happiness. Let me repeat that. As long as the mind wanders haphazardly between spiritual incentives on the one hand and worldly temptations on the other hand, that course, that tug-of-war, will be futile in producing spiritual happiness. God has given man the great gift of free choice. In order to increase our spiritual happiness, we need to consistently and consciously use our free will to choose those things that we know will bring true happiness into our lives. And meditation is at the very top of that list. It is an absolute must. A 16th-century saint advised, half an hour's meditation each day is essential, except when you are busy. (laughs) Then a full hour is needed. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? The more pressure we're under, the greater our need for meditation, yet that's exactly the time we're tempted to cut our meditation short because we, we feel we have so much to do, and we're convinced it's all-important. That's an example of Maya taking advantage of the situation to try to divert our attention away from spirit. Guruji, on the other hand, reminds us that seeking God is our most important duty. And he assures us that regular, deep meditation will produce an undaunted, unbreakable, inner habit of happiness. As we all know, meditation doesn't mean just putting in a certain amount of time and getting results. It doesn't work that way. We have to make a concerted effort, struggle, if you will, to contact God during that time, avoiding what Master describes as an oblivion of wandering thoughts. Everyone has to contend with wandering thoughts during meditation. The important thing is to choose, over and over again, as often as necessary, to bring our attention back to God without allowing ourselves to become discouraged. This is very important. Discouragement is a tool of Satan. It's another example of how Maya tries to divert our attention away from God. Suppose you find yourself in the desert, and you're thirsty. The local experts assure you that there's water to be found by digging in a certain spot — let's say right there. They can't tell you how long you'll have to dig or exactly how deep But you know, sooner or later, that you will definitely reach water. And so, you start digging. You wouldn't take a couple of shovels full from that spot and then start digging another hole over there, and there, and another one over there, or wander across the desert in hope of finding water somewhere else. Remember, you're thirsty now. You're going to very carefully focus your energy on the task of digging directly at the spot the experts indicated in order to reach water as quickly as possible. Our line of gurus, meditation experts of the cosmos, assure us that we will find the spiritual happiness we thirst for by digging deep in meditation. They even tell us the spot we should focus on the spiritual eye, at the Christ Consciousness Center, in order to reach the source of all happiness and drink deeply of God's peace, love, and joy, as they have. Guruji coined the delightful term, portable paradise. He explains, to work with God's happiness ever bubbling in the soul is to carry a portable paradise within you, wherever you go. Isn't this what we all want? Isn't this the happiness that mankind yearns for? A portable paradise. A soul happiness that we carry within as we face whatever comes our way each day. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that although we have a body, we are the soul. Each soul being a part of God is a receptacle of God's love, peace, and joy. By keeping a portion of our consciousness within as we go about our daily activities, we can more easily tap into the soul's storehouse of peace and love and joy. So, let's try to keep our head in the heavens as we gently lower our feet to the ground, after meditation, as our Divine Masters demonstrated in their lives. If we think of the images of our beloved Gurudev, Swami Sri Yukteswar and Lahiri Mahashai, for example, we can see that each of them carried a portable paradise within. We can see Divine Love reflected in Master's face we can see God's peace embodied in Sri Akteshwar and divine joy manifest in Lahiri Mahashai. When we look at Master's face, we can feel an ocean of divine love flowing through his beautiful eyes. Love for God and for mankind. He truly fulfilled the greatest commandment to love God first, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As a Prem-Avatar, an incarnation of love, he walked his talk. He lived that love each moment of every day, come what may. Although we generally associate Sri Akteshwar with wisdom, in looking at his photograph, we can also sense the depth of his absolutely unruffled peace. Guruji wrote, quietly sitting beside him, I would feel his bounty pouring peacefully over my being. As I typed those words, wondering what it would be like to be in Sri Akteshwar's presence, my computer crashed. I lost part of the text for this talk, and I have to admit I was not feeling especially peaceful. <laughs> but then I had an idea, thank you, Master, to imagine myself sitting quietly alongside Shri Akteshwar. And as I sat there, I felt engulfed in his peace. And as a result, I found I could quickly reconstruct the parts of the talk I had lost. We all face situations in our daily lives that challenge our peace. Next time you feel ruffled, it might help to think of Sri Akteshwar. Remember that even when an outsider disparaged him in his own ashram, in front of his disciples, he was able to remain absolutely untouched in his inner castle of peace. In Lahiri Mahashai's telltale smile and half closed eyes, we can see that his consciousness is anchored in the bliss of God. He was even able to hold on to his divine joy while performing exacting accounting work, so much so that his English office superintendent affectionately called him Ecstatic Babu. as our divine gurus demonstrated in their lives, to enjoy such a portable paradise. In addition to meditation, we must live according to spiritual principles. Guruji tells us, man is inherently law-bound to be happy when he is harmonious with God. Law-bound to be happy. And he is equally law-bound to suffer when he acts against the harmony of God. This makes perfect sense, doesn't it? How could it be any other way? How could God's beautiful plan operate any differently? Sometimes it feels as if we were put on this earth without a road map. But God has lovingly provided each of us with an inner compass to help us navigate the labyrinth of life. That compass is our conscience. And as we listen closely to that inner voice of conscience, we are guided to go in the right direction. It's like a built-in GPS device, except it never malfunctions. (laughs) It will never direct us to drive off a cliff. We can also look to the scriptures to guide us in determining what we should and shouldn't do in order to live in harmony with God. Guruji suggests that a better name for the Ten Commandments would be the Ten Eternal Rules of Happiness. He tells us very plainly, happiness comes only by doing right. And then he gives a little extra incentive by adding, be happy here and you will also be happy in the beyond. We can't be happy here unless we are at peace with ourselves and with others. And we can't be at peace unless we are living in accord with God's divine spiritual laws. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself is a vital spiritual law, an important rule of happiness. I recall that when anyone sought Diomata's advice because they were feeling Unhappy, lonely, unloved, unneeded, she invariably encouraged them to reach out to others, to see what they could do to help, to practice acts of kindness and unselfishness. Recent research confirms that we do indeed find happiness by helping others. This is very much in keeping with Master's guidance to try to make others happy rather than just striving for personal happiness. He explained, as you forget self in service to others, your own cup of happiness will be full. I saw this principle demonstrated in my mother's life. Mother was only 70 when my father died. She lost her best friend of 40-plus years and was no longer needed in the same way. After grieving for a time, she determined to use her newly acquired free time to volunteer. She served as a receptionist, timekeeper, in the intensive care unit at the hospital where my father had been treated. She knew what it was like to sit in that ICU waiting room. Although her assigned task was primarily to time visits, what she really did was give love. She put the rule of happiness, love thy neighbor, into practice. As a wife, mother, and grandmother, she had gained a wealth of life experience. And she was able to offer compassionate listening and words of understanding and encouragement the never-ending flow of, quote, neighbors passing through that waiting room. Mother recognized how much it meant to those people to have someone they could really talk to, someone who would listen sympathetically, someone who cared. She knew she was filling a need. She knew she was touching people's lives, making a difference, and that made her happy. A popular catchphrase is, if you want to feel good, do good. And that certainly proved true for my mother. She continued to volunteer at that ICU until very near the end of her long, healthy, happy life, when she could no longer manage walking up the hill to the hospital from the bus stop. Author J.M. Barry best remembered as the creator of Peter Pan, wrote, those who bring sunshine to the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. This truth has been confirmed many times over by various studies on happiness. And one such study reported, being kind to others, whether friends or strangers, triggers a cascade of positive effects. It makes you feel generous and capable, gives you a greater sense of connection with others, and wins you smiles, approval, and reciprocated kindness. All happiness boosters. Unless there is happiness in the heart, Guruji tells us, You have no success. Many people today carefully scrutinize food labels and are very choosy about what they put into their bodies. But how selective are we when it comes to what we allow into our consciousness, into our hearts? It is to our advantage to foster happiness in the heart by entertaining positive thoughts, emotions, and attitudes such as peacefulness, gratitude, contentment. Again, recent research indicates that regularly experiencing positive emotions creates an upward spiral, which in turn counteracts negative emotions. Although there isn't time today to talk about each of the many different happiness boosters, I would like to focus on contentment, and its nemesis, desires. For Guruji tells us, those who are inwardly content are living rightly. Never-ending worldly desires can keep us from feeling content and eat away at our spiritual happiness. Those desires all too often lead to dead-end streets. They don't help us on our journey. They don't lead to the happiness we crave. Contentment, on the other hand, brings a feeling of peace, satisfaction, and acceptance. It frees us from the negative, happiness-destroying emotions of envy, jealousy, covetousness. We are then able to hold close to our hearts and nurture positive, happiness-promoting thoughts and attitudes. When we allow ourselves to be tricked by Maya into desiring something that someone else has, that God has given to them, we forget to be grateful for what He's given to us. And so Guruji advises, it is best to give all one's desires to God. Be content with what God gives. Have you ever really taken the time to analyze your desires? To try to see the impact they have on your life and on your happiness? In preparing for this class, I looked back at the significant junctures in my life from the balcony of introspection, as Master describes it. Since we are all on the same journey, I'm hoping that sharing my experiences will encourage you to step onto that balcony of introspection as well. As a child, I had very few desires for material things. In fact, there was really only one overriding desire. Looking back, now I can see how tenacious that desire was and how it mushroomed into related desires. For many years, whenever my mother asked me what I wanted for my birthday or Christmas, it was always the same answer. A horse. (laughs) My poor mother, I couldn't even come up with any alternatives. The only thing I wanted was a horse. One year, she actually looked into what it would cost to board a horse just outside New York City, where we lived. (laughs) She found out it cost more than the mortgage on her home. It was at this point that, instead of letting go of my desire, that original desire actually began to expand. I was practical enough to accept the reality that I wouldn't be able to have a horse as long as I lived in the city. So, my solution, start saving to buy a farm. And this was not a passing whim. For years, I diligently saved whatever little money I earned to eventually purchase my dream farm. Because this wasn't going to be just any farm, oh no. It evolved in my mind into a 100-acre farm (laughs) with a cozy farmhouse and a barn. Ah, then I could have a cow and milk the cow and make butter and cottage cheese and yogurt. And perhaps I could have some sheep because I had a spinning wheel and I liked to spin. And there would be plenty of room for cats and dogs and a large vegetable garden. Mm. Now remember, this all started from the one desire for a horse. Years later, I was visiting my parents when a friend offered to give me a lift back to where I was then living, several hundred miles away. He suggested stopping at his parents' house on the way. And I found myself walking into my dream. They had a 100-acre farm. (laughs) With a huge barn. And a 100-year-old farmhouse filled with spinning wheels. (laughs) We went to the barn first, and there were several horses, and a cow with her calf, and lots of cats and dogs. They had everything on my checklist for a dream farm. I thought I was in heaven. But the moment I stepped over the threshold into the house, Before I even met the people who were living there, I had an intuitive feeling in my heart that they weren't happy. They were living my dream, but they didn't have happiness. That was a very important eye-opener for me at that particular junction of my life. It helped me to let go of my long-held desire for a farm and take the next step on my spiritual journey. I remember so clearly the first time I encountered the words, God's beautiful divine plan. It was a light bulb moment for me in which I instantly knew, without any doubt, that whatever was in God's plan for my life would come about, and if it wasn't part of His plan, it wouldn't. Oh, that was such a a freeing assurance. I felt like dancing for joy because I knew deep in my soul that I could trust in God's plan. And there is a special place for each one of us in God's beautiful divine plan. We can only be happy by trusting in God, by being content with the part He assigns us, and by accepting gracefully and gratefully whatever He chooses to give. When things don't go according to our plans, it isn't always immediately apparent why God chose a different plan. My first big disappointment in life led many years later to my life's greatest joy. When I was 13 I was very much looking forward to attending a certain all-girls college prep high school. But that year instead of either accepting or rejecting applicants as usual, they put everyone on a waiting list. When my mother went to speak with the principal, she was told they would be happy to have me enrolled at their school if my parents cared to, say, make a generous donation to the school. Mm, They didn't. (laughs) My mother was livid when she came back from that interview, and a change in plans was announced. There was a second all-girls high school in the area, one that specialized in training executive secretaries for the New York City job market. Well, it certainly wasn't my plan to ever work in an office. I was considering lots of possibilities, none of which were even remotely near an office. But guess where I went to school? That's right, to the one that trained executive secretaries. After high school, when I went on to college, I always wondered in the background of my mind why I had spent so much time and energy training as a secretary. It didn't make any sense to me. But that question was finally answered many years later, after I entered the ashram and became Daya Mata's secretary. If you all look back at your lives from the balcony of introspection, I'm sure you, too, will see God's divine plan at work. The challenge for us is to remember in the present moment that God always has our highest good in mind. He sees the big picture while we tend to get caught up in the passing scene. The moral of the story, trust in the correctness of God's plan and be content with what He chooses. Remember, God wants us to be happy, and we have to do our part to cultivate happiness by adopting thoughts and actions that lead to happiness, choosing those that lift our spirits in that upward spiral. When I studied weaving, I learned the importance of carefully selecting colors, fibers, and patterns that would result in a pleasing tapestry. There's a very direct, obvious correlation between what you choose and the end result. So it is with the fabric of our lives. We have to carefully choose the thoughts, actions, and attitudes that we weave into the tapestry of our daily lives if we want to be spiritually happy. And this is even more crucial when we're going through difficult circumstances. Guruji stresses over and over that it is the world inside of us that determines our happiness or unhappiness, more than outer circumstances. Helen Keller proved this in her life. Blind and deaf from an early age, she triumphed over her seemingly insurmountable circumstances and became an inspiration for many. Her advice was, If you always keep your face to the sunshine, you will never see the shadows." Master expressed a parallel thought in these words. Remember, you won't be frightened by the shadows or touched by Satan if you keep your attention on the light. It is Maya's intention to keep us focused on the shadows. We need to consciously practice focusing on the light, on positive thoughts and emotions, on God. Guruji advises, do not make unhappiness a chronic habit, thereby afflicting yourself and your associates. On the other side of the coin, he points out, it is blessedness for yourself and others if you are happy. Echoing master, researchers have recently concluded that happiness is contagious. That our happiness influences the people we know and the people they know. It boggles the mind to think about how this was measured, but research shows that the happiness of a close contact increases the chance of our being happy by 15%. The happiness of a second degree contact, for example, your friend's spouse, increases it by 10 percent. And the happiness of a third degree contact, a friend of a friend of a friend, increases it by 6 percent. And remember, this is a two-way street. Happiness travels both ways. Our happiness affects others, and their happiness affects us. Guruji tells us that our face reflects what is in our heart and that our countenance should be a beacon for others to follow. He was ahead of his time when he advised, if you feel that you cannot smile, stand before a mirror and with your fingers, pull your mouth into a smile. (laughs) It is that important. Well, now, modern studies and experiments are finally catching up. Here's my favorite. University of Kansas researchers asked more than hundred and fifty volunteers to hold chopsticks in their mouths in one of three ways. I'm not quite sure why they couldn't just use their fingers, but... One way kept their facial expressions neutral. One caused them to smile with only their mouths. And one engaged the facial muscles used to produce a genuine grin. The researchers then monitored the subjects' heart rates while they performed a stressful task. The subjects who produced a full smile had the lowest heart rates, followed by those who smiled with just their mouths. And both of those groups also reported simply feeling better than those whose faces remained blank. This leads us to another story. Long ago, a short-tempered and ill-mannered king was miserable, yet he yearned to be happy. It posed such a challenge to him that he sent for the kingdom's wise man, his most loyal and trusted advisor. I want my life to be filled with joy and happiness, the king explained, and you must help me achieve this. As you wish, your majesty. A few days later, the sage returned with a solution. If you want to be happy, Your Majesty, you must act happy and pleasant, and you must wear this mask. The wise man handed the king a mask that was a copy of the king's face, except with a more pleasant countenance. The king put on the mask, and as he walked around the castle, he noticed that people always smiled back at him. This delighted the king. He wasn't used to his subjects responding to him so positively. Soon he began to interact more closely with the members of his court. He grew to know and appreciate them, and they grew to know and respect him. However, after a year, the king grew troubled. One day, he confessed to his counselor. Though this mask has greatly improved my life, I can no longer continue deceiving the good people of this kingdom. I must remove this mask and reveal my true self to my subjects, even if it means losing their respect. As you wish, your majesty, the sage replied, and guided the king to a mirror. When the king removed the mask, he discovered that his once-wrinkled brow was now smooth. And the scowl he'd worn on his face in the pre-mask days was gone. His lips were curved in a pleasant smile. His face now resembled the mask he'd worn for the last year. This is remarkable, exclaimed the king. I am a new person. This is who you really are, Your Majesty," assured the sage. You just needed to be reminded. Guruji reminds all of us that as children of God, happiness is our birthright. Never lose sight of that truth. Each day offers us the opportunity to tap into our soul's storehouse of abundant peace, love, and joy, and to share our happiness with others. The Lord Buddha pointed out that just as thousands of candles can be lit from a single candle, and the life of that candle will not be shortened, in the same way, happiness never decreases by being shared. By choosing to keep the flame of our own happiness burning brightly, and by sharing that light with others, each of us can contribute toward making our world a better place. In connection with the United Nations International Day of Happiness, thousands of people from all over the world made this pledge. I will try to create more happiness in the world around me. Isn't this something we can all do? This convocation is a gathering of devotees from more than 40 countries. As you return to your homes all over the world, including Africa, the Americas, Asia, Europe, India, the Middle East, Oceania, and the West Indies. Each one of you can be a happiness ambassador for God and Guru, spreading your happiness and your smiles across the globe. Guruji urges, let the breeze of God's love spread your smiles in the hearts of men. Their fire will be contagious. May Divine Mother and our beloved Guru Dave bless our efforts to choose spiritual happiness now for our own sake as well as for others. Remember, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Jai Guru.